throughout scripture, we see that the church is supposed to be a place of prayer. Jesus said, in my house shall be called in house of prayer. So many times I'm convicted about the lack of prayer that goes on in my own life and also in our church. And so it's good to stop. It's good to pause and say, Lord, we need you more than we need anything else this morning. Would you take your Bible to Acts chapter number 16 this morning? If you don't have your Bible, inside of your worship guide, there is a uh, handout for the notes as well as a copy of the scriptures. And then I believe it will also be up on the screen as we continue. Last week we began this series. We said God's favor is really comes back to the Greek word charis, which means God's grace and kindness. So when we think of this word, we've got to understand exactly what it is. We've got to understand how it works. And so we're studying this topic of favor, and many of us have heard about God's favor. We've heard uh, uh, preaching on it. But when it comes to the favor of God, we didn't understand how it works. And last week we said we're going to walk in the fog, walking in the favor of God. This week I want to talk about reframing our world. And throughout this series, we're asking one question. What is the one thing you want most out of life? Isn't that a big question? What's that one thing you want most? Some people would say, I want fame. I just want to be known. I want to be insta-famous. I want lots of followers and lots of likes, and I just want to be well-known, and they just want fame. Some people say, no, 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 I want a fortune. I want to be worth bazillions of dollars. I want to drive the best cars, the biggest houses. I just want to have fortune. I just want to have money. And you can meet these people that that's what they want. Some people say, no, it's not about fame. It's not about fortune. I just really want a family. I just really want to get married. I just really want to have children. Or I just really want to grow my family. It's all about family. But I want us as a church to come back to the one thing that we need to seek after is the favor of God. That God would find favor in you and I. That he would find favor in us. And last week we dealt with a couple favor fallacies. We said the favor of God is not favors from God. We also said that favor is not achieved, it is received. It's not something we could do. The Bible calls uh, favor, it's the exact same Greek word as the word grace. It's the same word. Nothing we can do for grace. It's only something we receive. God's grace. So when it comes to this topic of favor, we understand there's nothing we can do for it. It's only something we can receive. So when it comes to the favor of God, are we walking in it? Are we living in this favor? You see, God wants us to live in favor and it's not found in a formula. It's not where it's found. God's favor is poured out to every child. We said this, we said God's favor is his demonstrated delight for his children. God wants to pour it out on you. He wants to pour it out on me. His demonstrated delight this morning. Well, let's dive into this topic in Acts chapter number 16, because I want to talk about reframing our world. How should we frame our world? Anybody like frames in this room? I mean, you just like to frame some things. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm talking about frames like, you know, picture frames. And if you just, man, it's all about the frame for you. I mean, you have frames that are worth more than the painting. You're just really into frames. I mean, frames are just awesome. And uh, when it comes to frames... They kind of make up the entire picture, don't they? You can have a really nice picture, but without a nice frame, it just kind of, something seems missing. And we frame everything. Uh, I worked at a company, and we installed shutters and blinds. And at this company, our tagline for installing the shutters and blinds was, we frame the sun. 
kind of a fun tagline, you know, we frame the sun. You got too much sun in your house, don't worry, we'll come in with our shutters, our blinds, our draperies, and we'll frame it for you, get it all nice. And so we had that, that was our tagline. And uh, frames are, are a great thing. Frames are good. You know, it's important how we frame things. It's important how we frame a conversation. Have you ever <laughs> asked your wife, what is that when you look at the dinner? That's never a good thing, is it? It's okay to ask, what is that? But haven't you learned? It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Really, what are we talking about? We're talking about how we frame the question, how we frame it. I mean, come on, we know this how, how this works. Even in a building, you want to frame up the building correctly. If a building does not have a good frame, you can't build on it. Why? It'll fall down. So we understand framework is important. We understand the framework goes into everything in our lives. And it's important that we get the framework correct. Many times I see people, they don't have the right framework of faith. You say, what do you mean? You see, there's this frame that we build off of, a framework, even in your life and in mine. But if we don't have the right framework set up, it's hard to build on a faulty frame. So we want to build the right frame this morning. You see, you should, you will never build a solid frame, solid faith with a weak frame. We need a solid frame. But what are we building this frame on? I would say it's the Lord's favor. Psalms 23 verse 6, the psalmist said this. He said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What is he saying about the favor and goodness of God? He's saying it's going to follow me. He's building this framework. It will. It's going to follow me. God's goodness and favor is there. But how do we see this played out? And in Acts chapter number 16, I want to begin in verse number 16 and read several verses if we can. And out of respect for the word of God, and if you're able, would you please stand as we read the scriptures? Don't worry, I'll let you sit uh, sit down a little bit. Somebody tied good money for those seats, so you're going to get it back. Don't worry, it's all right. Verse number 16, let's begin reading. The Bible says this. Now it happened as we went to prayer that certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. You see what's happened? The apostle Paul and Silas are at the outskirts of the Roman Empire. They're in the city of just outside of Philippi. Philippi was really the gateway to what is modern Europe. And so they're there and they're really starting the very first church, okay? Lydia has just been saved, has been baptized, and now they're continuing to preach the gospel. This slave girl, this girl possessed with an evil spirit, is following the uh, Apostle Paul and Silas. And she had been possessed with a demon, and this demon helped her to foretell people's fortunes. And so she got really good at this, so good, they were making a lot of money, which means... She was, she was accurate, okay? I mean, she would have helped you with your Las Vegas bets and everything. That's just how she was, all right? But notice what this girl did in verse number 17. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Isn't it interesting when the enemy knows that you're a follower of God? I almost would say that's a good thing when people around you know that you're a follower of God. It should be, Christian, that people in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, where we socialize, should know that we are Christ followers. If we claim to carry the name of Christ, they should be able to know that there is something different about us. That was free. You don't have to pay extra for that. Verse number 18. And this did she for many days. But 
Paul, greatly annoyed. I love it. The scripture is so great. Scripture is not boring. The Apostle Paul got annoyed. You ever gotten annoyed? The Apostle Paul, he gets annoyed too. And he got so fed up with it, he turned around and said in the spirit, to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought to them the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Notice that this jailer, it says, having received the charge, you can see in his mind he's given these, these, these criminals and he's taken to the inner prison. He says, okay, I'm going to take care of this personally and see to it that these guys are taken care of. Verse number 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, waking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called the light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here we see an amazing passage. Let's begin with the word of prayer as we dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank for this church. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts. I pray that you would do what I simply cannot do. Love you, Father. pray that you would bless the message in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. We're talking about reframing our world. Now think about it just for a moment here. Here we've got some... Preachers, the Apostle Paul and Silas, and here they are doing God's work. God had sent them. They're preaching, they're teaching, they're reaching the lost, they're going where no one has gone before to take the gospel. They're on the, uh, the edge of the known world, and here they are taking the gospel. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing right. They're doing what Apostle Paul was commanded to do on the Damascus Road, and all of a sudden, what's happened to him? He's gotten beaten. His clothes have been ripped off. And the Bible says they laid many stripes on them, meaning they beat these guys bloody. And they didn't just stop with the beating. Then they proceeded to throw them in jail, but not just any jail. They throw them into the inner cell. Now, if you know anything about a Roman jail, what would happen was they would bind your hands, they would bind your feet, and oftentimes they would put you in stocks where your feet would go through, your arms would go through, and your head would go through, so you can't move. You're completely just tied down. You're immobilized. It's very discomforting. It's uncomfortable. You've been bruised. You've been beaten. Maybe a couple uh, dislocated joints. And maybe there's a cracked rib. Maybe there's some uh, bad bruising. And so you're uncomfortable. And you're in this prison. And worst of all, they're Roman citizens. It never should have happened to them. None of it should have happened. Maybe you find yourself in a similar situation. Where you say, I was just doing right. I was just serving the Lord. I was just being faithful to church. Just loving my spouse. And why did these things happen to me? You know what we're doing when we ask that question? Why did this happen to me? You're framing your circumstances. You're framing it with something negative. 
And what happens, instead of reframing our world, we frame our world with fear, with doubt, with depression, discouragement, loneliness, um, ingratitude, lack of hope. And that's how we frame our world. And some of you here this morning, that's how you're framing your week. Oh, man, I just got to get through this week. You just framed your week. Oh, I just got to stay married to this old geezer. You're framing your marriage. Oh, man, my boss is just, you're framing your job. What I want to help us to do this morning is to reframe our situation. To reframe it. Because your framework doesn't work. Would you touch your neighbor and say, your framework doesn't work? You need to reframe your frame. You need to reframe it. Because our framework doesn't work. For too long, we framed up, oh, this is going to be a rough day. Well, I guess so. Oh, man, these children are so rebellious. Well, guess what? That's how they're going to turn out. You're framing it. So this morning, we need to change the frame. We need to change the frame. But how can you? This is amazing. They were having a praise break in the middle of prison. How is that possible? Can we go back to verse number 17 in this passage? I need you to catch something, and we're going to get a couple words through this. The Bible says there's this girl that followed the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul got sick of it. And then in verse number 18, the Bible says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why is this so important that the Apostle Paul comes back to, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ? If you and I are going to properly frame our world correctly, we need to get back to who is the authority? Who is the authority? Would you write that word down? Authority? Because the Apostle Paul said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. I command you, not in the name of the Apostle Paul. He's establishing Christ's authority. We would say it like this, the Lordship of God, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that he is over all, that he is above it all. You see, why is this so important? Because when I understand who has commanded, then obedience is up to up to me. So here, the Apostle Paul understands who's in charge, who's the authority. And when we frame our world, not on what we see, but on what God says. He said, why is that so important? Because now we go based on the authority that God has told us. So now I can look at my situation, not with desperation, but with anticipation. Many of us, because we don't have the right authority in place, and our country today is suffering. You say, well, we've got all kinds of issues. Ultimately, it stems back to a lack of authority in God. God is our final authority. Everything stems down as the final authority. Why do you think when the children of Israel were released out of Egypt, that the first thing God did was to establish the authority? Hey, you want to have peace in your home? Establish the authority. You want to have peace in your business? Establish the authority. Hey, you want to have peace in the church? Establish the authority. God ultimately is the authority. He's the authority over your life. If he's not Lord over all, then he's not Lord at all. Is the Lord the Lord over your life? Are you giving him that authority or are you holding things back? Because it starts with the authority. The Apostle Paul said, I'm here, I'm in prison, but I'm obeying my authority. I'm following the authority that is over me. Are you following the authority that God has placed over you? Because when you say, you know what? Yes, it is a discouraging week. Yes, I am sick. Yes, my marriage isn't so great. Yes, I did lose a job, but I'm under God's authority. 
When we say I'm under God's authority, I call it like this. It's like an umbrella of protection. When you walk out into the rain, there is a storm going on, but you're under that umbrella. That umbrella is the authority. It's the uh, thing over you, but it also provides the protection. My children are under my authority, but also when we're walking down the street or walking in a parking lot, I've got their hands. I'm also their protection. I'm guiding them. I'm leading them. When we submit ourselves under that authority. See, the Apostle Paul could look at his situation and see not a prison he could see something more than a prison many of you are looking at your situation and you're saying lord i don't know how this is going to work out i don't know how this is going to turn out lord i'm really discouraged i'm really bothered and you didn't get back to wait a minute who's the authority in this situation i'm going to reframe this i'm going to look at this in a different light i'm going to frame this situation according to how god sees it not how i see it it's interesting in joshua chapter number five that joshua meets with Really, what would be the pre-incarnate Jesus comes to him and says, See, I have given Jerusalem to you. Only God can talk about uh, a present tense, what is still in the future. Only God can do that. See, I've already given it to you. Wait a minute, we haven't fought a battle. No, but I've already given it. See, God is working. God sees things that you don't see. But we have to come back to the authority. The authority is key. Notice the authority of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't say, hey, to the demon, come out in my name. He said, in the name of Jesus. It's amazing the demon obeyed more than most Christians obey. Isn't that interesting? It's so funny to me how we and I struggle with obedience. It's simple, just to obey the Lord, just to do right, just to follow his word. This demon obeyed immediately. That same hour followed through. You see, we lack today proper understanding of the authority of God. We've got to get back to in our own homes and our own lives to submit to the authority that is found in Jesus Christ. You see, I will not see as God says until I do as God says. Did you catch it? I will not see as God sees until I do as God says. But that goes to obedience. You see, for me, my job is to obey. God's job is the outcome. Okay, I can't control the outcome. I can't. All I can control is my input. That's it. That's it. You cannot always control how your children are going to turn out. You cannot always control what's going to happen in the government. You cannot control what's going to happen in your neighborhood. You cannot always control what's going to happen in your church. But our job is to say, where's the authority? God, you're the authority. I'm submitting to that authority. I'm submitting to that. So no matter what happens, I submitted to the authority that was over me. God, I was following the authority. I was doing right. I framed my life based on your authority. Because with God's authority, that's where the power is. There's a lot of hype today about the police officers. And some would reflect negatively. But a police officer's power does not come from them. It comes from that badge that they carry that was entrusted to them by the government. Their power to pull over, to arrest, and to do those things is not based on their own power. I've heard some people, well, I'm going to do a citizen's arrest. Hey, good luck with that, buddy. You go for that. You're about five foot nothing, weigh a hundred and nothing pounds, and that guy's like six foot five. Have at it. I will film and watch, all right? I mean, it's just not going to happen, you with your citizen's arrest. I, I'm all for you, but it's just not going to work. What? The badge has the power, and it's a power that's not theirs internally. It was theirs placed on them. We as Christ followers, when we come under his authority, that's where the power is. I often like to think of God's power. Because in our lives, we're going to face situations we don't know how to deal with. But we've got to come back to the authority. Got back to the power of Jesus and power of his name. 
The Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I thought about a good sign I'd love to put up. It would make a stir. I know it would. But you put an image of of, of Jesus high and lifted up. And then at the base of that image, you put an image of a Catholic Pope bowing down to Jesus Christ. Next to the Catholic Pope, you put an image of a giant Buddha statue bowing down to the name of Jesus Christ. Next to the Buddha, you put an image of Joseph Smith bowing down. Next to that, you put an image of of, uh, the leader of Islam bowing down to him. Because one day, that is what's going to happen. Every knee will bow to Jesus. Every knee. You and I. Here's the thing. You're sitting up here. Maybe this is the first time you ever come to church. And all of a sudden you're getting uncomfortable. You're squirming in your seat. And you're thinking, I don't like this. I don't want to hear this. Then I'm going to have to bow. Guess what? Either bow now or you're going to bow later. But we all will bow. Because he is the ultimate final authority. And so we've got to get back under the proper authority. And Jesus Christ is our authority. That's where it comes from. So the Apostle Paul was in prison, but he was in there by the authority of God. So nothing could happen to the Apostle Paul that was outside of the sovereign God's control. Nothing could happen to him. Why? Because he understood, I'm under God's authority. So now I could see a situation, not with my physical eyes, but I can see it through the eyes of faith, that God is working together to do something greater than I could possibly imagine. So as you look at your situation, are you framing it that, guess what? God gave me this job. I'm going to do a good job with it, no matter what happens. You know, I'm in this marriage, and I'm going to do the very best I can with it. This is God gave me this wife. God gave me this husband. God gave me these children. I'm going to do the very best I can. And I'm going to submit to God's authority and watch God work. I heard an old preacher once say, and he was talking about Peter. And he was talking about how Peter was walking, uh, stepped out of the boat. And many people would say, Peter walked on water. How many ever heard that? Peter walked on water. It's a great passage in the Bible. He walked on water. There was like two of you that raised your hand. I guess it's new for the rest of us. Okay. So there's a story. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water. There you go. You're all caught up now. Okay. So now, how many have ever heard of the story of Peter walking on water? There we go. Awesome. Great participation. Got to wake you up sometimes. It's nine o'clock. It's early. I know. And uh, so many people would say, Peter walked on water. And I would say, Peter did not walk on water. What did Peter say? Lord, if it be you, bid me to come out of the water. And the Lord said, come. He didn't walk on water. He walked on the word. Ooh, that was deep. He walked on the word. You and I, we don't step out in our own power. We don't lead our marriages in our own power. We don't lead our homes in our own power. We don't lead our church in our own power. We don't lead our Sunday school class. We don't leave our jobs. We don't leave anything by our own strength. It is by the word. It is by the rhema. It is by the logos. It is by the power of God that we lead our homes and lives. And when we step out of that authority, there goes the power. The power is through the authority of God. We've got to come back to the authority. Today, people don't like to talk about authority. People will riot in the streets against the authority. Today, people are anti-authority. Don't trust authority. We need to come back to there is a good and sovereign and loving and kind authority. That is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our authority this morning. And if we don't get that back, our nation is not going to get it back. So the church has to come back to who is the authority. Jesus Christ is our authority. So we see that we frame it, first of all, the authority. We see the authority. But notice, okay, so they have this great authority. But then I love what happens in verse number 24. Who having received such a charge, thrust them in the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Verse number 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And sang praises unto God. 
I like to call prayer and praise the one-two punch to the devil. That's really what it is. It's the one-two punch. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the hey, uh, rainmaker. It's, it's, it's a, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go for a, a double whammy, a double knockout. You see, when you're going through a situation, what is your natural reaction? Praise and prayer usually aren't one of them. You're working on a project and man, you stubbed your toe or you hit your nail. Instantly, you're not thinking, praise the Lord. You're thinking something else. Something bad happens. You're not thinking, oh man, let's just stop and pray. But here they are. This is terrible what happened to them. But what's their first reaction? And I can just hear Paul. He's, he's been annoyed, this demon girl bothering him and heckling him all day. So he's just, he's bruised and he's just upset. And then I can just hear Silas. Silas seems like a perky kind of guy to me. This kind of upbeat kind of guy. And I could see Silas just beginning to sit there and they can't move, they're sore. And then Silas just beginning to sing. Just beginning to sing a little song. And I can hear as Silas is slowly singing the song, Paul going, shut up Silas, I'm trying to sleep. And I can hear Silas as he starts to sing... My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Silas, come on, you're waking up the prisoners. Oh, Silas, you could hear him start to sing a little bit louder. Then Jesus' blood, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then it was midnight. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, I've been beaten, but my anchor holds. I'm in prison, but my anchor holds. And all of a sudden, that's where Paul's spirit is coming back to him. And all of a sudden, the two of them together start to sing in a beautiful duet. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And all of a sudden, the prisoners are like, we know that one. We can sing that one. And then they begin to sing. Do you know this one? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Then it's a shout and they start singing and they're having a praise break right in the middle of prison and they're getting excited and people are praying. People are rattling their chains on beat, on key and it gets growing and it's exciting and all of a sudden things start to happen. Because can I tell you what? We sing with our voice, but we worship with our heart. What they were doing was not just singing. They were worshiping. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says in verse number 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. They weren't just singing about God. They were singing to God. When you come in here on a Sunday morning, we're not just here to sing about God. We're not just going to sing, oh man, 10,000 reasons and let's talk about the 10,000 reasons. No, no, no. We're singing directly to God. We are worshiping God. What happens? This changes my attitude. See, 
when I have the right authority, then I can have the right attitude in this situation. Some of us, we lack the right attitude because we don't understand the authority. And when we get the authority right, then we can have the right attitude. And all of a sudden, their praise started to lift them higher. Their praise lifted them out of that prison. You say, they're bound. I know. But that praise began to work something in their heart and life. Some of you this week, you've had a difficult week. And I'm telling you, this week, what you need is a praise that will lift you out of your prison. Something that will lift you out of your situation. Are you going to let your chains break your praise or your praise break your chains? Many of us, we let our situation break our praise. We let a doctor's report, we let the news break our focus. We let the news break our, our, our right attitude. Because the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. That's the spirit God has given us. But if this week you've had a spirit of fear, if you've had a spirit of anxiety, if you've had a spirit of depression, if you've had a spirit that is anything other than a power and of love and of sound mind, God did not give you that spirit. And so it's time where you say, hey, I'm being bound by this. I'm bound. I need to reframe my world based on the word, not my feelings. So the Apostle Paul and Silas, they said, we're going to start with the authority. The authority is going to change our attitude so we can have a right attitude. You see, praise is not just an activity. Praise is an attitude. Praise is an attitude. How is your attitude this week? How's your attitude about your situation? Because if you're going to reframe it, that's where you got to start. But you know what? Their attitude activated something. Do you see it there in the text? Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. Verse number 25. The Bible says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly, oh, something happened. Something began to happen. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors flew open and everyone's chains were loosed. Did you know your attitude can activate things? You ever gone into a hostile situation? Everybody's tense, everybody's uptight, and all of a sudden, you with your right attitude just kind of calms the situation. Your attitude can activate things. Hey, your attitude can activate something in your teenager. Your attitude can activate something in your husband. Your attitude can activate something in another church member. Your attitude can activate something in your school. Your attitude can activate something in your job. I have gotten promotions and jobs simply based on an attitude. They just simply said, you just have a better attitude than other people. That's what we want. Somebody with just a better attitude. You'd be amazed at what a better attitude can do. Hey, we're not quite at the holiday season. I think it's going to start in another three days. We're going to start having to shop for Christmas. But guess what? When you get to that Christmas shopping and everybody else has a bad attitude, you just smile at that clerk. You're doing such a great job. They're going to think, you're crazy. You're going to think, no, no, no. I go to Celebrate Bible Church and we've learned to have a good attitude because we're under the authority of God. And guess what? I'm not going to let these lines, I'm not going to let these people, I'm going to not let this, that I can't find the gift that I'm looking for bother me. I'm going to have a right attitude and it's going to activate something. They're going to say, man, 10% discount for you. You just look like an amazing person. Things are just going to happen. Why? Because of the attitude. How was your attitude this morning? Hey, it's been a long week. Some of you. You probably walked in discouraged. And you need a church. It was all you could do. If I could just get to church. If I could just get there. Can I tell you something? This is amazing. The Bible says that Paul and Silas were together. That was their mistake, wasn't it? They put them both together. Why? Because they fed off of each other. In the military, they call it a battle buddy. You know, in the Christian life, you need a battle buddy. Somebody keeps you encouraged. 
somebody that says, hey, sister, how you doing? Hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, I've been praying for you. I know it's been a tough week. Hey, how are, how are things going in this situation? How's your son doing? How's your daughter doing? Hey, I know it was a tense situation at work. How's that, how did that work out? Hey, I know you had that doctor's report. How did that go? You see, you can activate something in somebody next to you. Your word can change everything that they've been going through and experiencing. Why? Because you're together. You see, their, their attitude activated something. What was it? And if I had to make a guess, based on scripture, I'd go back to what happened in Acts chapter number 4. You say, what happened in Acts chapter number 4? The Bible says it's almost an identical situation. I'll read it for you. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were, this is the early church, gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak with the word of God with boldness. He said, what happened? I believe once they got the authority right, their attitude was right, then came the assistance. The assistance of what? I believe the Holy Spirit showed up in a powerful way. Because why? The place was shaken. Just like it was shaken in Acts chapter number four. Their chains fell off. The doors flew open. How else can you explain that? I don't think Silas' voice was that high where he could hit the right vibrations and so the doors would bust open. That was a powerful moving of the Holy Spirit where we see his assistance in the situation. Can I tell you what? God's plans require God's power. They do. You see, God had a plan in this situation. And God has a plan in your life. And so you need God's assistance. You need the Holy Spirit working on your behalf. You need his power working for you. Let us never do anything without the filling and flowing of the Holy Spirit. We need his power on our lives. Many times I've been in churches where they don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. They kind of relegate him to kind of a second class citizen. Kind of the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity. Instead of understanding that he is co-equal. That he is part of the Trinity. That we need to understand that he works and he's the assistance. The early church, they didn't see great things happen until the assistance of the Holy Spirit came. We as a church need to understand the assistance that is done through the Holy Spirit. I don't witness in my own power. I don't preach in my own power. I don't leave my home in my own power. I don't raise my children in my own power. I do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where the life is. That's where the power is. God never promised to use my preaching. What he promises to use is his word through the power of the Holy Spirit to affect your heart. That's what happens. When you're sitting there and all of a sudden the sermon is gripping you, the tears are flowing, your heart is convicted, that's not me. I'm not charismatic enough. I'm not dynamic enough. That is the power of the Holy Spirit speaking and prompting and working in your heart and in your situation and in your life. And that's what we need. That's what I pray for each and every Sunday. The Holy Spirit would have free reign in this room. That the Holy Spirit would block out any distraction that you might face. That the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart and speak to your situation. So that he can do a convicting work, a powerful work, and change what needs to be changed. But we need to yield to that Holy Spirit so that he can work. So we see there's the assistance. God's plans require God's power. See, the power of the Holy Spirit is the difference between the best we can do and the best God can do. Are you tired of just trying to do things your own way? Are you tired of trying to make things work? Are you tired of trying to make the marriage work? Are you tired of trying to make the Christian life work? And God is saying, hey, I've got power here. I've got something that can make this thing work. I've got the Holy Spirit here that you can use. We need to avail ourselves to it. Then lastly, we see that finally, we did you notice that when the doors are open and then this prisoner, this prison guard, I like to call him Paul Blart. Not a very good guy. He was asleep on his job. Rent a cop. 
And all of a sudden, he, he wakes up, the doors are open, and he's about to kill himself. Why? Because he thinks the, the guards have escaped. He pulls out his sword, and he's about to fall on his own sword. And Paul calls out in the darkness, do yourself no harm, we're all here. It's amazing because Peter was in a situation where Peter, in Acts chapter number 5, he leaves the prison. Man, God opened the doors, I'm out of here. Peace. I'm gone. No, that's not what Paul does. He stays. Why would he stay? Because Paul knew he was there for a purpose. He knew he was in that situation for a reason. And he is about to discover that reason. The very person that locked him up was the exact person that needed the message. You see, it wasn't the person that was locked that needed to be freed. It was the person who thought they were free that was actually enslaved. And they needed to be free. You see, there's some in this room, you think you're free. You're not free. You've been living in this bondage. You've been living in this, this, this constantly thing, and it's strangling you. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a sin. But it's got you bound this morning. And you can't break free. Everything you've tried to break free, nothing is breaking you free. And you feel like you're free. Maybe your parents, you've been, they've been praying for you. Maybe you've got a loved one that's been praying for you. And they were praying that you would come to this church so that you could experience what real freedom in Christ actually is. And God sent Paul and Silas to a prison to be beaten with rods in the middle of the night. And it's there that this prison guard is going to come to realize that he needs Jesus Christ. This is what must I do to be saved? Man, that night he is gloriously saved. You see, the Apostle Paul knew he was there on an assignment. That's what he knew. He said, there's a reason to all this. He said, look how, look how the Apostle Paul framed his world. He said, it started with the authority. And then it moved on to an attitude. And then I moved on to the assistance so I could fulfill my assignment. We don't fulfill our assignments in our own power. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how it works? We frame our world. How are you going to frame your world this week? How are you going to reframe it? Many of you say, I want a better week than I had last week. Let's frame it on the word. Let's take these truths. Let's apply them to our hearts. Let's say, Lord, how can I reframe this situation? What needs to change in my life? What would you have me do differently? Lord, I'm trusting you. Lord, I want to have an attitude like the Apostle Paul. Lord, I want to have a spirit like they had. I want to be able to sing praises in my darkest hour. I want to be able to pray when I don't feel like praying. And I want to see chains fall off. I want to see doors that were closed be opened. I want to see you do the supernatural in my life and in my situation. Because I desperately need you. And that's what it means to reframe our world. To reframe it based on the favor of God. God wants to do something. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And if we can all stand. Maybe this morning you've come for the very first time. And you for the first time are hearing that God loves you and died for you. He's the authority. He's God and God alone. He's the one that we give our life to. He's the one that we surrender our hearts to. It's not of our own power. Maybe this morning you're here and you're saying, I don't know Christ is my savior. And this morning is the morning that you're going to say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to surrender my will. I've been running from you. I've been living in sin. And I'm going to do right. Lord, I hear that you're calling me back to you. And Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to come clean. I'm going to do right this morning. Nobody's looking around. Everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. 
Maybe you're here and you say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him today. We'd love to have somebody pray with you, open up the word of God and show you how you can be saved. But let me ask you a question to the entire church. How many of you are here and you say, yes, I know. God is my savior. And if I were to die in this moment, I'm on my way to heaven. Would you be able to lift up your hand? Amen. 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 God bless you. Let me put that hand down. But maybe you're here and you say, I couldn't, I couldn't raise my hand. I just don't know. Today, we don't want you to leave without knowing. We don't want you to drive home. We don't want you to wait. We don't want you to put this off. This is why we're here. So that you can be set free. If you're here this morning, you've said, I've never received Christ as my Savior. Oh, we want to pray with you. We want to help you. Is there anybody like that? You just slip up your hand and say, today, show me. I need to be saved. Anybody like that? Sometimes people don't want to raise their hand. But if you need to talk to somebody, you find one of us. We'll be glad to pray with you. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word, we understand that we can reframe our world. We can reframe it the way you want it to be. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would do a work in our hearts and lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would not return void. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.